1 Corinthians, we discover God's plan to restore his church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, restore spiritual unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, restore biblical wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, restore Christ as our foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, restore influence of example. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, restore sexual purity. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, restore holiness of life. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, restore godly homes. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, restore responsible liberty. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, restore full surrender. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, restore personal godliness. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, restore order in worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, restore church as the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, restore sacrificial love. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, restore spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, restore resurrection power. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, restore healthy relationships. Well, hello, I'm Joel, one of the pastors. It's good to be with you. And you see from that video what we've been walking through, a series called Restore. We started it back in January, walking through 1 Corinthians. And today is the last day. Um, thank you for not saying praise God for that. Um, but God's used this series. And many of you, I wish you knew all the stories of people who are right now they're in the process of watching God restore a relationship or restore something in their life or that they've already experienced that personally throughout the last year. God restoring, God renewing, God is in the business of doing that very thing. And no matter what you're walking through today, I want to make sure that you know that God desires the same for you, to see restoration and redemption and renewal in your life. And before I jump into the message, um, I actually, I know God is also praying the same for Israel. And if you don't know what's happening there, I'd encourage you to go and look at the news a little bit. Um, every, if, if you follow the pattern of what's happening between, uh, I, I would say, different resurgences, including Pakistan, but there, there's a lot of different people who come into play here, but directly toward Israel. Every couple of years, you would have what majority of people would call a, a skirmish. Um, this is not, what's happening right now is not a skirmish. And what it could lead to is incredibly significant. And honestly, even the positioning in the United States is a, is a huge concern. Um, but we want to pray for those people. So can I just stop? I, I want to stop before I jump into the message. Can we pray for them and what's taking place? God, I come before you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm asking that you would do things that only you can do. And so many of us only live with our head down and we're looking just at our life directly but there is so much more at play. And God, I know that you are sovereign over all of it. And so for the leadership, God, I ask that people from both sides, all sides, it seems like there's many of this conflict. Oh God, what would it be like for every leader to submit to the authority of Christ? And so provide your presence, and may we respond in a manner worthy of the gospel. Amen. 
Again, I invite you to go just look at that. And we want to make sure, you know, one of the responsibilities I have as a pastor here is to make sure that the eyes of Chapel Point are removed from Chapel Point because we can get so encompassed and wrapped up in ourselves. Um, but yet God is doing great things around here. You saw some of those pictures from last night, uh, all these students coming in and someone asked me earlier, where's the student ministry building? Um, our entire space turns to student ministry on Sunday evening. Uh, we could build a, a facility for students, uh, but it would ha be hard to build one larger because they need all of it um, because it continues to grow. Our leadership, Brian Ball and others are doing a remarkable job. And last night, check this out, 32 students expressed a call into ministry last night. 32. My first response was, can we start that many churches? Um, the answer is God can, amen. Um, and we want to see everything possible for families to be restored. I believe that we're going to have more and more young people bring their parents to salvation and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. I believe that when you can get the young people today, um, not only to have an attitude of, of you know what, um, yeah, I love Jesus, but whoa, whoa, no, it's more than that. I'm going to declare his greatness among the nations at school and with my teachers. I will not be silenced in the name of Jesus Christ, that you will see an uprising that is of godly significance. And so that is happening right now in our student ministry. Get ready. Some of you parents, uh, you're about to get real nervous. And I'm glad. And I'm glad. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Who's ready for the word of God? Okay, that is horrible. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I'll give you a quick understanding. Last week, Pastor Luke was able to, to share some with you. I'll, I'll give you a, a quick breakdown of that. So first 11, 12 verses, I'll give you what's happening there. First four verses, here's the summary. You ready? Share generously. That's how I would break it down. Share generously. Um, the Christians in Rome, um, the Christians in Corinth, the Christians in Galatia, different parts, they um, were asked for their financial help with the struggling Jerusalem church. They were asked for the help because there was a famine and they're also receiving a significant amount of persecution from the Jewish community. And so they're being asked to help first day of every week, they would collect some money and help them out. So to be generous. The other thing is uh, the primary lesson that you learn from the beginning of chapter 16 is to be in healthy relationship, to be in godly relationship. So that's what that is, to be in healthy relationship, godly relationship, live like a family. One of the greatest parts of this church specifically. And people come to me, they ask lots of questions and they're like, oh man, what, how's God doing this? I was like, well, God's grace, God's doing a movement, God's calling up people, 32 students, right? Just last night. But also there is a depth of a community here that it, you cannot substitute anywhere else. Brothers and sisters in Christ willing to stand up for one another. That's why they were living generously with each other, sharing generously. You do that as well. I think about our benevolent offering. Our benevolence offering is significant here. We don't ever talk about our benevolence offering because people are so generous in giving to it naturally that we're able every week, literally, we're helping people with, with um, mortgage payments or uh, with health issues that they're having and helping them financially. And there's a process for that. A lot goes into it, um, but we have a team that works on that. And so we share generously and we live in healthy relationship with one another. So that's what's been taking place here. And then in the last half of chapter 16, what you see is Paul is going to give them a final picture or a final portrait of biblical maturity. It's one last picture of, remember, Paul is writing, he's teaching and correcting them, 
everybody say teaching and correcting. From Ephesus to the people, the Christian believer in Corinth. All of this is new there. We know that it was this hub of sexual immorality. And these are people who are just chasing themselves. It was a trade route. So a lot of money, a lot of worldly uh, philosophies were being adopted, Greek philosophy and everything else. And Paul is writing to them and saying, no, no, no. I need you to chase Jesus and to be grounded in him. And he gives this, li- this last final portrait of maturity in Jesus Christ. We all, every single person in this place watching online in a different venue, it does not matter where you are, we all have a particular picture that would be, what would really just show what our life is about. If you, if you took every primary area of your life and you say, okay, this is what it really boils down to, what would that picture look like? Um, I was going to show you all kinds of pictures, but I'm, one of the ways I think I'm known is I love my family. So I did, here's a picture of my family right now. Um, and uh, there's my beautiful wife in the middle. Um, you can do whatever you want to the kids, but you better be nice to my wife. Amen? Um, amazing people. So we just recently had this picture taken of us. My kids love me. They, their first response is dead. Um, they had this stuff out called Just for Men. That's hair, hair coloring, if you don't know. And uh, so I have no clue how they're going to pay for college, but it'll be fun to watch. <laughs> Um, so this is kind of what I'm known for. There's other things as well that I'm known for. And by the way, I would like to tell you that they would just throw, throw in some clothes real quick and we took one snapshot. How many, how many times did that take? 4,312. <laughs> because my kids are like, oh, look at that. There's a 757 flying from this over here. They're, oh, look at the bird. Oh, I'm going to catch the rabbit. I'm like, Bennett, stop. And so um, we have to do all this, but we want to be seen in a specific way. Here's what you're going to learn today is we all have a particular picture that others see us through, a lens. Our lives, our words, our actions are painting a portrait of Christ if you claim to know Jesus. If you claim to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that means your life is a portrait of Christ. It should be. And if it's not, you're simply naive in recognizing that every word that you speak and every action that you make is a reflection of the Almighty. Sadly, many of our pictures say nothing of Jesus. They show a culture that is fully, including the church culture, they show a culture that is fully absorbed in self, that is apathetic and complacent when it comes to obedience to Jesus Christ and the word of God. One of my first responses last night internally when I heard 32 students said, I think that I'm being called to ministry was, wow, that's amazing. But also, oh no, how many parents will try to talk them out of it? At least have a backup plan because what if that doesn't go very well? Or what if you don't get paid as much? You won't get paid as much. But God is worth trusting. And so we start looking at it and go, oh man, what's that picture really look like? What is this this final portrait of biblical and spiritual maturity in Christ? What does that look like? Here's another simple way to think about this last message Paul has to the Corinthian believer. Is that God matures us so that we are rooted in the gospel of Jesus and motivated by love. 
so that we are rooted in the gospel of Jesus and motivated by what? Motivated by what? Our vision statement here at Chapel Point is that we are to be, we want to multiply, transform followers of? Our vision is to multiply, transform followers of Jesus. Romans chapter 12, one and two. Now, if you look over the, above the fireplace, it is more detailed than that. We want to multiply, transform followers of Jesus, passionately responding to God, rooted in prayer and the Bible and equipping disciples. It's all biblical. That's our heartbeat at Chapel Point. And this is what helps us in doing such. He then jumps in and he says this, verse 13 and following. Remember, this is him. He's going to give them one last push and help give a portrait of what it is to be a mature believer in Christ, a picture. You have the wonderful opportunity today to determine whether or not this is what you're doing or not. Is your life a picture of the greatness of Jesus? Is your life a picture of the greatness of Jesus? Is your life a picture of the greatness of Jesus? So will you please stand for the reading of the word of God? If I don't say something, you say it, right? You good? B, stand firm in the faith. Act like men. B, let all that you do be done in. Now I urge you, brothers. Right? That's not prompting. I urge. I'm asking. I'm begging. I'm calling out to you. I urge you, brothers. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first convents of Achaia and that they had devoted themselves in the service of the saints to be subject to such labor as these and to every fellow worker and believer. I rejoice. Listen to this. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence. For they were refreshed my spirit as well as yours. They refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy... I, Paul... Write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be our Lord come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So I already told you first four verses. Share generously. 5 through 11, 5 through 12 is be healthy and be in healthy relationship, be in godly relationship with one another. We provide all types of opportunities for you to be in healthy relationship with other people. You have to take the opportunity though. And then he says, I want you in verse 13 and 14, I want you to stand in maturity. Stand in maturity. This should be the picture that you're painting as a mature believer in Christ. And he even lays out some of these details about what it is to really stand in maturity. And the way he begins this, he says, I want you to be watchful. Be on your guard is another way. Be watchful or be on your guard. It's translated in both manners. Be watchful or be on your guard. Be watchful, be on your guard. Stand fast in the faith. 
That's what he's communicating. He's going to give marching. He's giving marching orders. Remember, he's in Ephesus writing to teach and correct, and he's writing to these believers that are living in a hard society. He's like, I'm giving you instructions right now. Please listen to me. The very first thing you need to do so that your life can be a portrait of the maturity of Christ Jesus is to be watchful, to be on your guard. Another passage that would go along with that would be uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 38. Scribble it down real quick. Mark 14, 38, which says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's writing to the disciples just before his death. And he's telling them, watch and pray. Be watchful, be on your guard. It's the same word in Greek. Be watchful, be on your guard, lest you fall into temptation. If you're not watchful, if you're not on your guard, you will fall into temptation. But you know what? When you're always on your guard and you're always watchful, right? Because we know Satan's like a roaring lion prowling around, right? We know this. The culture is doing that same thing. We know this, but it can be exhausting, but he's telling them, always have your head on a spiritual swivel. Always have your head on a spiritual swivel. Be watchful, be on your guard, lest you fall into temptation. Temptation to compromise our walk with the Lord is real. We always remember, this is typically how Satan works. He just wants us to take one small what? One, sm- one small what? So I, the way that sounds is... At least 95% of you have never been to Chapel Point before. So we have certain things you need to understand. Listen, very rarely do people go, man, I love the Lord. Look at me. I'm being faithful. And I show up at church some and it's good. And then they just plummet off the deep end. No, what they do is they just take one small step, one small compromise, and then another small compromise, and then another small compromise. And then it's just, it's just one time. Well, I only looked at this. I didn't look at, I mean, I could have hit, watched the whole video. I just saw a picture. But then that picture becomes a norm. And then a video, and, right? With pornography and lust and all types of things. Paul is writing to them to teach and to correct. And he knows that some of them are compromising because they're not being watchful. They're not being on the guard. They accepted something as truth. They they proclaimed it, but they didn't really start living it because the world is influencing more than the word of God. And we will justify it all day long. But you know deep within you, if you're being obedient to the call of God, you know. And he's saying to be watchful, be on your guard. He then goes even further. He says, listen, I want you to be watchful, to stand firm. Another way for stand firm is stand fast or to be brave in Jesus. Galatians chapter 5 speaks about this. Galatians 5 is all about whether or not you're walking in the flesh or if you're walking in the spirit. Walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Galatians 5, 1, he's talking about what it is to stand fast, to stand firm, to be brave in Christ. It is the only place in the New Testament where the Greek word, Andriozooma is what it actually is. And that word actually means to act like a man. What he's trying to convey here, by the way, is this, man, be, be mature enough to fight for it. Like, no, man. When I was growing up, 
like just a couple years ago as a teenager. When I was growing up, when you turned 18, you were on what? It doesn't always feel like that. Now, if you came to our student ministry last night, you're going to go, I, I have more hope in our, our next generation of spiritual leaders after yesterday and the day before than I've had in years. awesome to see but it doesn't feel as though people are growing up the same way like when I when I was growing up not only was it 18 but like you people were leaving and we were out of school at like 19 or 20 like college and I left at 20 and like people were just everything was quicker and now it's all slower I think it's probably because preschool lasts until you're 10 now something like that and like everything seems a little slower. I'm not saying that's a bad thing it's just very very different but so uh, I think about World War II and World War II, the average soldier's age was 18. And they're out there dying. Now the average soldier's age is like 23 or something like that. Don't, don't quote me on that, but I was told something in that ballpark. Everything seems later. Everything seems slower. And it's like, no, you need to be a man. I need you to fight for something. We have, friends, if you have any type of blood running through your veins and claim to Lord, Lord Jesus as your Savior, we need to learn how to fight for our Savior, to stand for him. And so he's saying to stand fast. Friends, the pathway toward maturity in Christ is grounded in knowing and living the gospel. You have to know the word of God. You can't stand fast to stand firm if you're not wanting to know the word of God. Friends, memorize the word of God. Memorize verses. Some of you, I know what you're going to say. It's hard for me to memorize. I don't give a rip. If it matters to you, you will do it. James, I tell all the time, just get, I'll give you one passage to go memorize. James 1, 2 through 8. James 1, 2 through 8. Go memorize it. Like, let the word of God sit on your heart so that you may be mature in Christ. He says, be strong. We know that God's power is made perfect in our weakness, and so we claim the strength of the Lord. Be strong. Dig your heels in. Maintain. He's, remember, his last letter, he's writing, to the, he's writing this. Somebody would have been writing this down as he voiced it. And so he's, he's having all this written down. And it's his last few words before this letter is going to conclude. And he's painting this final portrait of what spiritual maturity in Christ looks like. And he says, make sure you're strong and dig your heels in. Otherwise, you will fail. The pride it takes for us to act like we don't need to dig our heels in is remarkable. We need to dig our heels in and be ready to advance toward Christ. That means some of you need to start painting a different picture. Start using different colors. Stop living life the same way and expect Christ to give you a different result. If you don't like the current result of the picture that is being painted with the way that you live for Jesus Christ, start living differently. Start speaking differently. Start making decisions differently. Don't make decisions out of convenience. Make them out of knowing the will of God and being obedient to his call. 
What we don't need is a bunch of more, bunch more people living life in apathy and complacency. We need people living as Paul did. That's why he said, live like me, like, live like this because I'm trying to be like Christ. And so then we raise our children to live according to their desires and their will and their way. And then we just assume that when they're 20, they're gonna come around and go, I'll do anything for Jesus. You can't raise a child in the ways of self and expect them to walk in the ways of the Lord. They're simply emulating their parents. And so he's giving this portrait of, please stand firm, be faithful, be watchful, be on your guard. Dig your heels in, but you better do it with love. What's the love chapter? First Corinthians chapter 13. And we know that he tells us in first Corinthians chapter 13, 13, he says the following. He says, listen, um, but these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, there it is. Preached it a few years ago, a few months ago. I don't know what it was. Go back and listen to it. First Corinthians chapter 13. You can find it on the internet, on the website. Right? He says, listen, do all these things. Be watchful. Stand from, dig your heels in. But you better do it in love. You better do it with love. This, verse 13 and 14 is the primary section for this final call from Paul to the people in Corinth. I need you to be watch, be, to be vigilant. I need, to be, I need you to be on your guard, to, to stand firm, to be brave. And I need you to conduct yourselves at all times with the love of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's, what he's just, that's what he's trying to help them with. It's just that simple. He's trying to let them know what it is to submit to the will and to the authority of God. And then what he does is he gives thanks for the devotion of some other individuals. So 15 through 24, let me just knock this out real quick because um, I told you that the primary part is 13 and 14, but then also another section is to be devoted to serving. He's giving thanks for those who have served. So why I want the values here is that everybody lives in their area of spiritual giftedness. We want you to use your spiritual giftedness to serve the bride of Christ. Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. These are three men who brought the information about Corinth to Paul. And he acknowledges them as devoted servants of the Lord. Right? Stephanus was probably the head of the household. The other two slaves under that household is typically how it works. But he was grateful for their coming because they ministered to the needs of Paul and also carried a message of God. And then he says to give recognition to such people. In verse 18, verse 19, he says, the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca or Priscilla. Um, Acts chapter 18, if you don't know. Acts chapter 18 is where we find them. That was a married couple who ministered with Paul at Corinth, by the way. And he says, 
send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. They would have known them. It says, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I don't often do that. We say we don't add to Scripture, we don't remove from Scripture. Amen? But we're going to substitute holy kiss with holy hug. I ain't going around kissing all you men. I should get an amen right now. Uh, what he's trying to convey here, so when they greeted each other with a holy kiss, it meant that they would greet each other without shame. Remember, that was a, an honor-shame culture. And we didn't, they didn't like the honor. We don't, uh, there's still places in the world that have an honor-shame culture. Uh, did you know that we have a tendency that when we don't like something of any sort, look at our culture, look at our world, and even our own individual selves, we have a tendency to swing the other way. Like what we need to do is go, oh, let's get back to the healthy middle, to the healthy tension that we need to live in. But we swing. I, I, I used to be that way in the way I would eat. Like it was all or nothing. Like it was really like, oh, I'm not eating very well. I'm gaining weight. I need to, I'm just not going to eat. Like I, I would swing. Now I've tried to learn in my years of maturity. Now I only have three cans of Pringles. And <laughs> Right? I try to find that balance. Well, a lot of times when we don't like something, we swing the other way. We don't like the honor shame culture and we swing the other way. We've, we, we don't like the honor shame culture because we don't like the what? Shame part. We've lost the honor part. And that's sad. We, we've lost what it is to show people honor for their faith. He's telling them to show honor for the servant example of these individuals who served so well, were devoted to serving the Lord. We've lost the honor part. That's what that holy kiss meant, was to show each other honor for who they were in Christ without shame because they had experienced the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness. It's what I said two weeks ago. Uh, we need to start living as though we recognize we're not waiting to see who's going to win. We serve a God who's already won. So he's sending the greetings with a holy kiss. And he says, verse 21 and following, he says, I, Paul, write these greetings from my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. Everybody say Maranatha. Maranatha. That's one of the earliest Greek vocabulary sayings that they had. That's, O Lord, come. Maranatha. Here it is for you. Maranatha. You can say it, say it again. Maranatha. Maranatha. It make you feel smart. Here he is. Friends, if you've ever studied, I used to study, like one of my hobbies was how they compiled the Bible and all these kind of things, Council of Nicaea and 330 and different councils and all these different things and how they chose exactly what was to be done and the different writings that we've discovered over the years. I love that stuff. I'd much rather look at that than some article about the Georgia Bulldogs winning again. Um, so I, I look at that and go, what is that? Well, one of the things that you start to recognize is that Paul, as they've discovered the different writings, he literally would have somebody uh, write down the manuscript that he would articulate. But at the very end, to, make, to let people know that it was from him, he would actually write the very end. And a lot of times they found manuscripts with larger le letters. Like you can tell the person writing shifted. And he would la write the last few statements in his own hand. And so he's telling them, I, Paul... This is probably where he began, right down here. I write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love, he's going to, here's this 
this emphasis on love again. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, he's going to emphasize it again. You can be right in all things, but if you're not righteous, if you're a jerk who gives a rip. So he's writing, listen, if anyone has no love for the Lord, please love, right? Otherwise, just let you be accursed. Maranatha, oh Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you. All in Christ Jesus, amen. Because I, I, I love, so yes, Paul wrote roughly half, a little less of the New Testament, a little half in that. Um, I love Paul. Some people don't like Paul. Um, but Paul is very direct, very upfront. But I think the thing that I know, if people say, Paul, tell me about Paul. Paul had a huge love of Jesus because he recognized what Christ did for him. That's why on the way, road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, he came to know the Lord. He had a huge love for Christ and a huge love for the bride of Christ, the church. And frankly, it ticked him off to see people who claim to love the Lord not treat people with the same thing they claim to experience themselves. The same mercy, the same grace, the same forgiveness, the same kindness, the same love. And it, honestly, it just really ticked them off. That's right. If you know me at all, I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's important. Only times I really get angry is when you mistreat my bride or his bride. Because I love Christ and I love the church. And I think Paul loved the church. And that's what made him a great apostle, a great follower of Jesus. Friends, the portrait that you're allowing Christ to paint with your own life of the maturity of what it is to be a believer is actually a portrait of your understanding of the love of Christ in you, for you. We also know that mature leaders invite what? Mature leaders invite what? Accountability. We don't ever want to be corrected because we're so blasted insecure. Somebody tells us anything and our first response is what? How dare you? No, what we should say is, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're comparing me to the word of God, let me know what kind of picture I'm painting with my life because my heartbeat is to reflect the power of Jesus, not self. And so we're gonna paint a picture, a portrait of the love and the passion and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of Christ and stop playing this game of apathy and complacency of where we really live for self, but we claim something we don't live. And Paul had this hunger for the church. And so he's calling out, oh Lord, come. Please, Lord, come. And so I want you to go because mature leaders invite accountability. I want you to go to a friend this week and say, hey, can I ask you, when you look at my life, what picture is it painting? Do you have the maturity to do that? Most of you don't, I think. So now I'm saying that on purpose. So I get this because I'm trying to play that, that game, that reverse psychology. Oh, you better believe I'll do it now. Do you have the maturity to go to somebody else and say, is my life painting a picture that is of Jesus? Am I, am I being watchful on my guard? Am I standing firm in my faith? Or have you compromised? 
So what, what, what I want to do is I just want to take an opportunity. Um, well, I'm about to really call you out. Sometimes I know some of you are servant leaders and you got to go serve or get out of the parking lot early enough. Just don't lead. Can I just call this out real quick? This is blasted early for me, so we're good. I want to pray with you. Like, I want to pray with you. And I want to pray and give you an opportunity to respond. Empty your laps. Nothing on your lap. Just empty it. If somebody else has something on their lap, knock it off. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond and to call out to God. And some of you know that you have compromised the picture that your life is painting of Jesus. You know you've compromised it. And you need to identify what that is and surrender that to God to repent, to ask for forgiveness. But, and everybody's like, oh man, you guys talk about repenting and conviction and it's not fun to live that way. Friends, it's fun to acknowledge your sin if you know that it's been paid for and now you can live according to the ways of God. That's called victory. The battle's already been won. But we need to confess our sin, to acknowledge, him, acknowledge that he is the Lord. That's the hand, the penmanship of Paul in Romans. And so we look at this and go, wait, what is it that I need to do so that the picture of my life can better reflect Jesus? So will you just pray with me right now and I'll give you some instruction as we go. Um, so let's just pray. Just close your eyes if you would. And right now, just say, God, may I hear from you. Think about whether or not your life is painting a picture of the love of Jesus. If you have anything in your life that you know is compromising your call to God, your call to reflect Him, to represent Him, to speak of Him, to live for Him, think about the compromise. And as you think about it, I'm just going to ask that you stand up. Right where you are, stand up. If you have anything in your life, Because we know that not to be aware of that that is causing us to compromise our conviction of painting a picture of Christ is to think that we're already doing it perfectly. If you know that Christ is calling you to paint a picture of him, with your words and with your deeds and your willingness to forgive and to show grace and mercy, to stand firm and to be watchful. If we know that, will you not begin to stand for him?
Just tell God right now, just to yourself, say no, just pray to him, no more compromise. We'll live as Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. John 3.30. And so God, we come before you, we offer you all things. May our life be a picture, a portrait of you. If everybody would just say, no more compromise. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Will you stand with me? And I want to remind you of something. God is creator of all things. He created humanity, mankind. Who fell to the traps, the compromise of the evil one. And then we stepped in in terms of humanity into the fall. We fell away from God. And we kept trying to do everything we could to try to get right with God. By the way, this is a personal story as well as a, an understanding of creation, isn't it? So you try to do everything you can to get right with God and you're trying to be good enough and you're trying to be nice enough and trying to be kind enough. And yet it's never enough. And God knew that. And so after thousands of years, literally, God stepped in and said, you know what, the perfect lamb, I'm going to give him. You keep offering all these lambs, I'm going to give you the perfect lamb without blemish, without spot. And so his son was really born in the town in which they would raise the lambs to be slaughtered in. There's some foretelling for you. He set a beautiful model of what it is to paint a picture of the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God by the way he chose to live his own life. And then he spilt his blood on your behalf. Now the really cool part, we know what that is. It was on the third day when the ladies went to prepare his body for the burial to truly prepare so that it could be there. They found the tomb was gone, was rolled away. The body was gone. The tomb was empty. And in that very moment, we think about it as, oh, look at what happened 2,000 years ago. Friends, in that very moment, when Jesus stepped out of the tomb, when the tomb was discovered to be empty, it was then that we knew what it is to have true life. And so now we don't have to live according to being good enough or nice enough or kind enough. We live according to knowing that the victory is already ours because the victory was already claimed by him. No more compromise.
You're going to mess up, by the way. It's all good. You repent and God forgives and we move on. And we carry the joy of the Lord. No more compromise. No more compromise. Will you live fully for Jesus? This is, this is a vapor, this life. Ecclesiastes, I've been reading through that lately again. And just, this is our life. It's gone. It's just a vapor. That's what it says. It's a vapor. It's a mist. Gone. Stop compromising. And let our lives be a picture of the greatness of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You ready to worship him? Let's worship him as though it's our last time on this physical place. Because we do know that for eternity, we will bow before the King of Kings. Let's praise him together.